Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hello, hello, and welcome back. First of all, today, I really want to express a whole bunch of gratitude for those of you who listen every week and help to support my show, and for those of you who have written reviews, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, I am so very grateful for all of you. Next week, I'm going to be um, doing another solo cast, which I think think I'm going to talk about the question. It's a question I get asked a whole lot about networking right now and putting yourself out there when we can't actually get out there that much. So that being said, I welcome your questions, comments, thoughts, and suggestions. Or if you have a completely different topic that you might like to hear about, Red Rover, Red Rover, send it on over to um, emily at emilyaborn.com. Or you can go to shebuiltthis.org to find a zillion other ways to contact me. Um, But that's what I think we're going to talk about next week. And you guys are such a involved audience that I want to make sure that any questions that you have get answered. Um, Or, you know, what? really ask me anything (laughs) and I'll answer it on the show. Um, So I'm going to start by telling you how I met today's guest. I met her through an introduction by Renu Bassour, who is the Managing Director at Sidharth Services. Sidharth Services is an organization here in New Hampshire that works with individuals with disabilities and helps to provide them with um, community-based programs and services that focus on the person. Now, Renew's mission and the mission of Best Buddies New Hampshire are in very close alignment, and Renew is actually on the board of the Best Buddies New Hampshire program. So after knowing Renew, and she introduced me to today's guest, Sarah Dennehy. Sarah and I had a phone chat back in July about just getting to know each other and um, me potentially being a champion for their Best Buddies fundraiser gala this year. And when we first spoke about it, um, I was thinking to myself, okay, why would they choose me? Like, I don't know the first thing about intellectual and developmental disabilities. In fact, in the conversation, I didn't even have the right language to use to say what I wanted to say. And my answer now is that is exactly why me. Why me is because I need and want to learn. I want to have the conversations around diversity and inclusion and making change. So that is why me and here I am. I am now a champion for Best Buddies New Hampshire, and I'm on a mission right now to raise awareness as well as support their mission and their programs through this episode and then in the conversations that this is going to open up and allow me to have as well. And I'm going to get into actually how you can help me in a minute, but I do want to share this story with you. When I was in college at Keene State studying nutrition, one of my most memorable assignments 
was one in which we got paired up to work with an adult with a developmental disability. And what our goal was, was to help them create a budget, um, a shopping list, and then together we went shopping for the ingredients and prepared the meal. So I got paired up with Linda. She was a woman living in Keene and Linda was always really bright and cheery and really excited to cook and eat whatever we were making. So we did like a couple of small things and then we had like one big, you know, culmination of the class with a a meal. Um, And we always had the best time together. I was, you know, personally in like a little bit of a dark, angsty place because who isn't when they're a sophomore in college? And I just remember that when I was with Linda, I was always like laughing so hard and I could just be silly with her in the grocery store aisles. And we had so much fun cooking up the meal, which like, honestly, I think our final project was just a tuna casserole because she was super, super picky, but I gave it like a fancier name for the sake of the assignment. And I have this photo of Linda and I on the day that we presented um, that just always brings a smile to my face. And even after the project was done, we stayed in touch a little bit. Like I remember she called me a couple of times on the phone just to have somebody to talk to. And it was just as beneficial. It was beneficial, so beneficial for both of us. Um, so my goal right now is to raise over $3,000 for Best Buddies New Hampshire before their virtual fundraising gala in November. And thanks to some extremely generous listeners already, including Dave Swillam of the Waking Up From Work podcast, Liz Larson of Edward Jones, Marcy Mason of Family Dental Care of Milford, Emily Benson, a professor at Keene State College and career coach, and then also members of my family and friends. I'm actually very well on my way to achieving my goal, but I need your help still. I am now in the process of reaching out to the members of my She Built This community to help me by simply going to my best buddy buddies champion page and giving whatever you can. Um, and by doing this, you're helping give individuals with developmental disabilities job opportunities, you're helping them to create lasting friendships and have opportunities for inclusive living. There are a lot of programs that Best Buddies of New Hampshire's provides, and um, Sarah's going to get into that in the show, but the, the money goes to help support those programs. So the link to donate and to attend the gala virtually, which I think is going to be a whole lot of fun, um, are going to be in the show notes. And a really big thanks in advance. I am so grateful for your support as a listener and then also with this initiative as well. Um, You know, when I met Linda in college, like I said, she made a really big difference in my life. And I hope that in some way I made a difference in her life too. And in today's show, Sarah's going to talk about how people are people. You know, we all need friends. We all need other people in our lives that see us and hear us and recognize us for who we are. So again, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to kind of like out myself. Like I don't have all the language. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I was nervous about doing the introduction for this podcast. I was nervous in my conversation with Sarah because I don't want to say the wrong thing. But I do know that I'm open to learning as much as I can. And I, as I raise money for best buddies, I want to do more than that. You know, I want to really immerse myself in educating myself and learning ways that I can take action. And I hope that this episode inspires you to do the same as well. I'm going to read Sarah's bio. She started her career in Washington, D.C. as a legislative aide for Congressman Brian Bilbray and then moved to NRCC raising money for congressional candidates in the House of Representatives. 
In 2001, shortly after 9-11, she gave birth to her first child, Liam, who was born with trisomy 21, and that is the um, technical term for Down syndrome. Her family relocated to New Hampshire, where she has been since 2001, and she's added two beautiful children to the mix. She now uses her fundraising skills as the state director in New Hampshire for Best Buddies, a worldwide nonprofit dedicated to ending the physical and social isolation of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. As I always try to do when we discuss topics that I know some people want to avoid having in their podcast feeds, I do want to warn you that in this episode, Sarah and I touch on some very sensitive topics around pregnancy and the termination of pregnancy. And while it may be unwelcome and uncomfortable for some, the message that she has is a very important piece of her journey. And the story that she tells is what was true for her at the time. And now she uses it as a way to help others understand and be more educated. I think you will find, as I did, that she is incredibly generous and open in this conversation and authentic, and I just really, really appreciate it. Um, I love when people can open up and just share truthfully and honestly about their experiences. So without further ado, I bring you Sarah. Hi, Sarah, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. How are you today? It's a little cold and rainy today. We're recording this on September 2nd, and I feel like winter has already set in. With no transition. I know. We didn't even get a, we didn't even get like a fall yet, you know? Hopefully we will, though. Yes, I think we will. And pump, do you, are you a pumpkin latte fan? I just had one this morning. Oh my gosh, your team pumpkin latte. Go you. <laughs> um, are, I don't, I mean, I don't even know. I don't have like the technology to make a latte, so. <laughs> They're yummy. Um, so I already read your bio, but why don't you tell everyone from your perspective a little bit more about who you are and what you do? <laughs> um, well, my name is Sarah Dennehy, and I am from Southern California, and I've lived in New Hampshire now since... 2002, and I can finally say that this is home to me. It took a long time for me to adjust to winter, but um, coming from San Diego, it was quite a quite a shocker. But um, I love it here. I love New England. I love the pace. I love the family feeling. I love the four seasons. Um, I do miss fish tacos, so I'm still looking for a fish, a really good fish taco place. But um, I have three kids and my oldest has a disability called Down syndrome or otherwise known as trisomy 21, but most people know it as Down syndrome. And after working in politics, um, after college, really getting a taste for fundraising, um, I, once Liam was born, I made the switch from raising money for politicians to raising money to support people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And I started working for the National Down Syndrome Society, raising money for them once I, once I moved to New Hampshire. And then I discovered that New Hampshire did not have a state office for best buddies. And here we are. I mean, that's it in a quick nutshell, and I can go into more detail, but here we are. <laughs> Yeah, so you were essentially the founder of that. Yes, for best buddies in New Hampshire. Not just me, but me along with one person in particular, my friend Susan, and then 
um, a board of an advisory board full of um, wonderful people in the community who knew how important it was to bring Best Buddies to New Hampshire. And we still have, a, I think, two people that were on the expansion board that are now on our advisory board, but most of it has turned over. This was in 2014 is when we opened our doors. We started fundraising for the doors to open in 2011, 2012. So it took us a couple of years. We had to raise $250,000 in order to open a state office. So wow. it was a journey. Yeah, it was a journey and um, a process, but so much, I don't want to say easy because it wasn't easy, but so much more positive and inspirational than I would have ever thought because people really understood the necessity of having something like Best Buddies in our state. How much have you raised to date, do you know? Gosh, that you know, I've never been asked that question. Well, we'll, we'll, we can always fill everyone in later. I'm just curious. Yeah, I would say probably 850. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, or more, probably a little more. Um, so before we get into what the organization actually does and what like programs you offer, but which I am super interested in, I know that you have a really interesting backstory with Liam and I would love for you to share that. Well, I would love to share it because it might just be my favorite story I have. So um, get ready. So um, when Liam, when I was pregnant with Liam, um, it was gosh, 2001. So 9-11 had just happened and at that point, I was nine months pregnant and just about to have Liam. But up, up until that, I had had these just intense dreams about the child I was carrying. And, you know, I was young and I was 27. And I had no reason to be worried about anything really in my life. I was happy. I had a great husband. I, you know, had a great job. Everything was exactly the way you think you want it to be. But I had this intense sort of worry about my baby and what started as just a general worry turned into me being convinced that my baby was going to be born with down syndrome now i didn't really know anything about down syndrome i didn't know that the that the people that i'd seen in my lifetime that had you know some of the features of down syndrome were down syndrome i really didn't know anything about it but i had this overwhelming this knowledge that my baby was going to be born with Down syndrome. So, you know, this went on my whole pregnancy and I, I told my family and my husband and I've always been a bit of a type, type A um, doer, worrier, get it done sort of person. And, you know, most people attributed it to my just worry that that was a fear maybe that I had that my baby was going to be born with a disability. But I knew that it wasn't, it was a fear for sure but it felt more than a fear. It felt like a knowing. So I had a few dreams in which my baby, I knew in my dream that he had Down syndrome and I could see it in his face. I could hear it in my head. I could see him. Um, there were a few dreams where it was just so clear. And I, at the same time that I was having the dreams, the voice in my head was your baby has Down syndrome. And it was pretty overwhelming. Um, I just knew it. And then, you know, I don't know how much your listeners believe in this, but things happened throughout my whole pregnancy that just reaffirmed that my baby had Down syndrome. I saw people with Down syndrome where I had never really seen people with Down syndrome. I, um, one of my colleagues at work, her 
college sorority sister had a baby with Down syndrome and I walked over to her desk and there her picture was right on her computer for me to see. And it was just another affirmation. Um, I had quite a few ultrasounds because my doctor was trying to alleviate my concerns. And in 80% of the time from one ultrasound, the doctors can tell you if your child has Down syndrome. There are markers for Down syndrome that are very clear and most of the time, 80% of the time, come up on an ultrasound. And I had quite a few ultrasounds and never had one marker, not one, which is pretty out of the ordinary. Um, many children with Down syndrome are born with heart defects and all sorts of other things that are just, you can tell on an ultrasound. Um, there's sometimes an, an extra fold of skin at the neck that's easier to see. Just a bunch of things that my son did not have any of them. Mm. So that really, you know, confirmed to me that I was just worrying, right? Like I was just being a nervous wreck and everything was going to be fine. But again, you know, things kept happening. And, and by the time I told my doctor and she, she just was on my side the whole time saying, Sarah, it's normal to worry, but you need to just relax and enjoy this pregnancy. This is your first baby. He's going to be healthy. I knew it was a boy. So, you know, I didn't know for sure, but, um, I knew. <laughs> I had the alpha feta protein test, which um, I think every new mother gets. And even now there's more testing you can get to find out if your baby has Down syndrome. At the time he was born 18 years ago, there wasn't the CVS test and all these other things that could tell us right away, which in hindsight, I'm very glad about um, because I don't know what I would have done at that point, but all I could go by was what I knew. And um you know, I was right. He, he was born October 9th, 2001. And when he was born C-section, he was full breech position, which most of you know what that means. His feet were coming out first. And, you know, I had done enough research by that point about Down syndrome. And I told the doctors, well, he's breech because he has low muscle tone and he can't turn around. And, you know, they just laughed at me. Um, so when he came out, uh, the doctor held him up to me and she said, I said, is he perfect? And she said, he is just perfect. And I was like, thank you, God. I have a perfect child. He doesn't have Down syndrome. Thank you. I can relax. Life is good. I was just worrying. And, <clears throat> and um, they were wrong. He, about three hours later, I still hadn't seen him. And my husband really hadn't come in. And I was in recovery. And at that point, I was getting really worried because all I'd read was that your baby got to come to you pretty much right after. And next thing you know, the doctors walk in, two doctors walk in with my husband, and they just said, um, your baby is showing signs of Down syndrome. Wow. The whole world stopped, Emily. It just stopped. It just stopped. How did you feel and how did your... Was your husband in the room with you at that time by then? He was. And to be honest with you, it was, it was just a tragedy in my book. And I was angry because nobody listened to me and nobody would believe me. And everybody, you know, placated me and, and oh, poor Sarah, she's such a worrywart. Um, and so the first thing I said was, I told you, I told you. Nobody believed me. And, you know, your body in your brain, you go into shock when something like that happens. And I don't remember a lot of it, except that I remember saying, let's have another baby. 
it was almost like I needed to dismiss this baby and just let's have another baby right away. Let's, let's have another baby. And, and, um, you know, looking back at it now, I know that that was a normal process and you really have to go through this grieving. Um, you really have to grieve the child that you thought you were going to have and to accept the child that you have. And, it, and it's a process that I felt guilty over for a while, but now I know that that's a normal process that you really have to go through. And, you know, the doctors wouldn't look me in the eyes. I think they felt a little bit like they should have listened to me and, and were just as surprised as I was. So I have a question. If you, if you, if they had listened to you, do you feel like that grieving process would have been able to happen before he was born and that, that would kind of have helped you in that time or like what for you would be the benefit in knowing prior to him being born? Well, I'm going to say what I'm going to say and I know it's probably going to offend some people and I'm only saying it because I know that by my being honest, I know that I've been able to help people in similar situations. So I'm all for true, true honesty here. And I'm just going to say that I'm glad I didn't know now because I would have had an abortion Yeah. and I would have had an abortion because I was ignorant and I'm not judging anybody who does that. I'm just saying for me, it would have been out of pure ignorance. Yeah. And, it, and if I had done research and I hadn't been connected with the right people, I would have been told that an abortion was the right thing to do. That's what people are told. Abortion wow. is the right plan of action. And you know, 99% of people who find out they're having a baby with Down syndrome now can have an abortion at 11 weeks. And they wow. do. Not everyone, but, and, and I would say most of the time it's done out of fear and out of not knowing and just not having the real information. So I thank God that I didn't because I would never have been given this gift that's hard for me to even articulate to you about how special and how lucky I am. And I get emotional talking about him. Yeah. Why don't you tell me um, some of, some of the challenges early on with Liam, but I also want to know more about him and like what, why he is so special to you and like the things he loves. Yeah. So tell us about Liam. Oh boy. Um, challenges when he was a baby were, you know, babies with Down syndrome do have, a, sometimes have a lot of, you know, medical concerns. He had a heart defect that was never, um, visible on any sort of ultrasound and it healed right away. He never had to have heart surgery, but many children with Down syndrome do have to have heart surgery. But, you know, I'd say a super high number of them, you know, are just fine afterwards. It's scary, but they're just fine. Um, Liam had a lot of problems with um, eating and, and drinking and, and those kinds of things, which caused him to be in the hospital a lot for the first couple of years. And um, that was hard, but gosh, at that point, I was his biggest advocate and his biggest fighter and, you know, his dad too, just, <laughs> we were the right people to be his parents. And, um, he is super healthy now. And, you know, he learned sign language fully by the time he was two and a half. I taught him sign language be because I had, I had heard that people with down syndrome speech was going to be delayed. Their expressive speech was almost always delayed at least a little bit. And so I, I knew that he was smart and I wanted him to be able to communicate. So he had like 300 signs by the time he was two and a half and he could really talk to us. And um, that was amazing because it really got me to really get a glimpse into how he thought and how normal and typical, I hate that word normal, but how typically developing he was in a lot of ways that I wouldn't have known otherwise. So that was something I really recommend to people that they do with their children with any sort of intellectual disability. Um, what was your other question? I'm sorry. Oh, I guess um, just what are the, I guess what are the 
wins that you see with him now or or then? Wins. Oh my gosh. Just having him in my life is a win. He is probably the kindest, most generous, loving human being I have ever known. And I, everyone always says, and I've always said, loving Liam changes you. And, and it's true. He, he has a way of, of changing people's hearts and um, teaching people about unconditional love and, you know, his friends and my friends and people who'd never been around somebody with any sort of disability are some of his biggest fans and now can go on to talk about Down syndrome with, you know, some real intellect about it because they know. And, and just by bringing about awareness of Down syndrome, it really sort of changes the world because little by little, you know, those circles spread and people know that having a child with Down syndrome is not a death sentence. It is a joyful, wonderful experience that shouldn't be taken away and it shouldn't be, you know, stopped before it's had a chance to start. And, you know, he is um, just a precious human being and I can't imagine my life without him. He is just a wonderful son and a wonderful brother to his two siblings and just truly the light of my life. Oh, I love that. And I, I watched a video on your Facebook page the other day where he got a drum set and I was watching him drum. He's good. He's good. He has a memory like no one I've ever known. Um, he's been taking drum lessons for a while and the drums, the drums were a surprise to him yesterday or two days ago. And he was just so happy. He's got some serious rhythm. I love it. Um, so why don't you tell us some, some more about the best buddies in New Hampshire and what kind of programs. So one thing I really love is this message of inclusivity that you are spreading in this, in the state, you know, and saying like, use the word normal. And I don't even really think that's a fair word. Like that shouldn't be part of the conversation. You know, the conversation should be, how do we help these people to feel included and part of the community and supported in the best way possible? You know, I think one of the things that I've learned and one of the things that um, when Liam was a baby, I remember I I spent a lot of time trying to convince myself that he was going to be the best person with Down syndrome to ever walk the face of the earth. And he was going to not look like he had Down syndrome and he was going to be just this stellar model of what a person with Down syndrome could be. And as a baby, it was really tough for me because all I saw when I saw him was my, the love of my life, my child who I just, the sun set in him. You know, I just, it was just such a love like no other that everybody that's a mother knows that love. Um, so when people would come up to me and say, oh, does your baby have Down syndrome? Or they'd whisper about him in the bank or they would, you know, just look at me like they felt sorry for me. It, it really floored me to a way that I can't even articulate because I was just so upset that they would just see Down syndrome and they wouldn't see him and that they would talk about him and whisper about him. It just would get me so mad. So the fire started, you know, a long time ago to educate people from, a, from an from kindness and love, not from anger, to really teach people about people with disabilities to, and I, and sorry to, I'm babbling, but his doctor told me at one point, Sarah, you have to remember that you love him. And so your perspective is different. Not everybody loves him. And so they don't see him the way you do. And I knew at that moment that my job in this world was going to make sure that whether they loved him or not, they were going to see him as a human being not just as Down syndrome. And um, that's really been my mission ever since. And, you know, I think a lot of times, whether somebody has cancer or 
asthma or autism or whatever it is, until it affects you personally, a lot of times people, it's not that they don't care. It's just not in their circle. They don't give it any sort of thought. We all have a ton of things in our lives and we focus on the things that matter to us. Yeah. But in, in my opinion, it's my job and, and people in Best Buddies and in the world of disability to help people see that including people and, and having inclusive environments is our job as human beings. It's not just for people who are parents of children with disabilities. We're all human and we all matter. And um, that's what I love about, about where I work. I, I'm the state director for Best Buddies in New Hampshire. We are in 53 countries and we have programs in every state now. And we didn't have anything like this in New Hampshire before we started it. And, you know, it's all about inclusion. It's about one of our, one of our sayings is, I see you. I see you. I, I see you as a human. I see you who you are. I don't see your disability. I see what you have to offer this world and what kind of a person you are. And that's really important no matter what disability you have or even if you don't have a disability. So... I so agree with you. Um, yeah, let's get into like just maybe a couple of the programs, but I also want to know how those programs have been affected. I'm imagining so much of the in-person work that you guys have do that you do has been affected through the pandemic as well. Yes, we we took a hit during the pandemic, but I'll tell you first about our programs. So yeah, we op- Best Buddies operates under four pillars: our leadership, friendship inclusive living and jobs. And in New Hampshire right now, we have our leadership programs and our friendship programs. We are working hard on bringing our jobs program to New Hampshire and eventually we'll have our inclusive living. Inclusive living is our newest pillar. But under the first two pillars that we have in New Hampshire, our school friendship programs and our adult programs. So what that looks like is we go into middle schools, even elementary schools, high schools and colleges and it's a student-run program led by students who have a passion for Best Buddies, who, who either already do or learn to, along with um, somebody with a disability that, that's a part of the you know, core officer team, along with a couple teachers. And we set about matching kids with disabilities one-to-one with their typical peers. So they do um, monthly group activities as a whole chapter, and then they also, each student is paired up with a typical peer as friends. And if we're fortunate, those friendships last and they work throughout the the year, whether it's a middle school and they go to college, high school at the same school, or sometimes we have to, you know, rematch people just like in any friendship. Not all friendships are, you know, matched right off the bat. Um, One thing we started a couple years ago in New Hampshire was our adult program, which is called our Citizens Program. And that's the same concept, but it's for adults in the community. So people with disabilities can have the option to stay in high school until they're 21. Not all do. Some do. But then once they hit 21, parents are finding out that there's not a lot of options. You know, there's just not as, as many options here as there are other places. And even when there are, it's hard. You know, our kids turn 21 and their friends are gone getting, you know, at college or getting these amazing jobs outside of college, getting married. And a lot of times our kids are left here to really pave their own way. And so with our citizens program, it really matches them up with an age appropriate peer in the community so that they can experience a more typical life. 
um, and friends. So we, that was our number one call when I started Best Buddies here. So it took us a while to raise the money to bring that program here, but now we are, and we have a waiting list of people who want to be matched. So wow. it's super important. And especially, um, with the pandemic, I mean, wow, I, people with disabilities are already isolated, but add a pandemic in and, you know, they're not going to their day services. They're not going to their jobs. They're not, you know, they're isolated even more. Yeah. That's kind of what I was, was wondering is how like, you know, talking on zoom is so exhausting. Um, and, and I just can't imagine like how some of the relationships are being built or sustained, but I'm, I'm glad you guys are still doing that. I know you are. Well, there's no choice, right? We yes. can't just let them fall off. And right. granted, for, for our friends who have already met and established a relationship, it's easier. Um, but we still are matching people on Zoom, and we're having great, great success. So I think that, you know, people need friends, and whether they have a disability or not, especially now. So we're finding that we're having great success, and we've had to be really creative in, in what we're offering, but we're having so much fun. We're doing dance parties and karaoke nights and you name it. Fun. You no, know, this isn't going to be forever, so we're just holding out until we can take our masks off and join the living again. Um, what I wanted to ask is, what are some of the don'ts that you see when people are looking for the language to use or the words to use or the actions to take when dealing with people with developmental or intellectual disabilities? Oh, I think that's a good question and I have so many answers for that, but I would say that it's normal to be uncomfortable and I think it's important that people know that. It's normal. I still get uncomfortable, not with Liam, but if I meet somebody and I don't understand what their disability is or I don't understand how to communicate, I mean, we're all human and we all have to learn. And I think one of the most important things you can do is, is to, you know, step outside of your comfort zone and, and really make an effort because the payoff is incredible. I have a saying, and I always say it, um, I didn't make it up, but, you know, if you step outside your comfort zone, that's where the magic happens. And I can tell you the truth that that is where the magic happens in Best Buddies because you can't change how you feel, but you can change what you do. And once you make that connection and you really put some effort, same amount of effort that you would put into any other friendship, you're rewarded with, with something that's so beautiful that nobody can articulate to you. And it changes you. It does yeah. change you. Yeah. And you're changing the life of another human being at the same time. Yes. And, you know, I can tell you honestly, Emily, when I started doing this, I thought I'm doing this for Liam. I'm doing this so that I can make sure that, that Liam has a great life. And, and that's what my purpose was. But I can honestly tell you now after being in this role for seven years that I am doing it for Liam, but I'm doing it for you. And I'm doing it for, you know, everybody that I come in contact with that doesn't have a disability because I see just as many changes in them as I do in my friends and family with disabilities. And that's inspiring to me. Yeah, I can see that. Um, all right. Tell us um, about the gala coming up. So basically, I, I want people listening to know how they can help to support Best Buddies right now. I, I know that if they go onto your website, they, they can find ways to get involved and connected. Um, but let's talk about the gala and also how you pivoted from that being in person, this beautiful in-person event to something that you're taking virtual. And I think you're going to do an outstanding job with it virtually. 
Thank you. I think it's because we have an outstanding amount of champions this year. Um, so yes, yeah, so our vert, we have an event every year. It's called our Champion of the Year Gala. And the concept behind it is we steward, you know, anywhere between eight to 15 professionals from around the state. And we, I personally do a lot of research about who I'm going to ask to be a champion. Every state um, in our pretty much in our country does our Champion of the Year Gala now. And these champions compete against each other in a fundraising competition to raise the most money for New Hampshire. And we have had such amazing, such amazing success with it. And, and not just success financially, but we've had our champions become board members and buddy matches and just get involved in a way that we could never have expected. It's, it's really just probably the best event that I've ever been to and the most feel good event that I've ever been to. Um, we definitely had to pivot this year and turn virtual and I was not happy about it and really was holding off until the very end, but we made the decision and I can honestly tell you that I'm excited about it now. Um, I, hopefully this will be the only year that we do it virtually, but I can tell you that probably for the rest of the time um, we do the gala, we'll have some element of virtual now because it's just, it adds a whole new twist to it. We can have people watching our gala now from my home state in California, we can have people from all over the country logging in and checking out what we're doing. And it's going to be a crazy fun night. Um, and people are really going to get to see our mission in action, even though it's virtual. So we're super excited to share Best Buddies with, gosh, as many people as we can. We're not limited to, you know, 500 people in a room tonight. We're, we're really limited. We're not limited at all. And that's exciting. It is exciting. I think that's one thing that I think is really awesome that's come out of this virtual stuff too. Like there are people in my peer group that are in Texas and California and I'm like, I don't know how this happened, but it's it's great. So I love, I do love that about the virtual aspect has just opened us up to so many more opportunities. And you know, there are limitations that we're not all meeting in person right now, but um, I think the good outweighs the negative. Sure. I mean, we have to take what we're given, right? And we have to make it better. We can't just crawl into a hole. We have to keep going. We just keep right. going. That's what we do as Americans. We, we right. keep going and, and, and that's what we're doing. And I'm excited. I think it's going to be really fun and um, can't wait to see how it turns out. Yeah, I'm really excited to be part of it. And I really appreciate you taking time. I Before we wrap up, I just want to ask if there's any question that I didn't ask that you feel like is very important for people to know or that you wish I had asked. Oh, gosh. No, I mean, I just have so many. I think this went by so fast. I could talk to you forever. Um, I think that I'd love people to get involved and you know, if they want to be matched up with somebody, they can reach out to us, New Hampshire at bestbuddies.org. If they want to be involved with the gala, same thing, just get online, New Hampshire at bestbuddies.org. Um, they can check out your link and see as one of our champions this year, how to get involved and how to support you as our champion. Um, there's just so many things that they can do. We need board members, we need sponsors, we just need people who advocate for us and and really feel the passion of what we're doing or feel the magic, as I like to say. Yeah. Okay. And I'll be sure to include all of those links um, in the show notes so that people can click right through to them. So thank you so much. I'm, I'm very excited to be a champion and I'm really excited about this gala, actually. And who doesn't want a gala in a box sent to their home? I mean, come on. I know. Yeah. So we didn't talk about that, but um, one of the 
uh, perks is of being a champion and raising a certain amount of money is that you get like a gala box, like you said, sent to your home. But I think that also is the case if people buy tables. Isn't that true? Absolutely. You can buy, there are two options. You can buy a table and have a watch party at your house for 10 people and you'll have dinner sent to your home and wine and fun things. And, um, we need that. We need people to host tables, but you can also have a different option and just purchase a gala in a box, which you just get, I think, dessert and wine glasses and some little treats. So there are many different, um, I think four different options for people to get involved and to be part of our gala this year. And, you know, we tried to make it really fun with a twist and we just hope that people can get on, really get online and watch it because once you watch, you're going to be inspired. So fun. I love it. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy the rest of this slightly drizzly, chilly day. Molly, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.